Radio. Let's talk pets. Hello, you're listening to Deaf Wolf on Animal Party Pet Life Radio. And with me today, back again, is Laura Cook. Welcome to the show, Laura. Hi, Deb. Awesome to talk with you again. Well, usually I have you on the show to talk about pets and allergies and allergies to pets, pets with allergies, that kind of thing. And we've done past shows on that if you want to look it up, body talk and healing. But today we've got a a different topic that's been in the news an awful lot and I think demands that we deal with it. And there's a bit of a crossover in that in the animal world, they've done experiments on animals, terrible experiments, where they've taught rabbits to be afraid of cherries, for example. And then they've seen that their children and their grandchildren, even if they weren't raised with the rabbits that were originally traumatized, their children and their grandchildren still are afraid of cherries. And there's been many, many studies like this, and I have some of them with me here to talk to you about today. But I've invited Laura to talk about this stuff because Laura Cook is a healer, and she also works uh, with First Nations, with Indigenous issues and people. And um, she's just the perfect person to invite on the show to talk about trauma that passes from one generation to another, whether it be in animals or, more importantly, I guess, in people. So welcome to the show, Laura. Yeah, thank you. Definitely has been the intergenerational impact of trauma has been a huge part of my work for a long time and how the nervous system holds trauma, whether it be human or animal nervous system, definitely have a deep understanding of it. And yeah, happy to share what I've noticed and what I've learned in my work and how we heal it. In my community, you know, there's been a very pivotal point in our history, the Holocaust, when And there were many, many times in, in our history that were like that. So I, I shouldn't take that as the one isolated time. But around, you know, 1948 to 51, there were a lot of people very damaged. And then in the 40s and 50s, through that time period. So those survivors had children mm-hmm. who were mm-hmm. very, very affected. And mm-hmm. we've all known this in the Jewish community for years. But finally, they started really testing it and trying to see, you know, are the children and the grandchildren of these Holocaust survivors, do they have different levels of hormones in their bodies? Is there something genetic that's changed? And the sad answer is yes. So there's all kinds of this sort of trauma all over the world, including uh, in Pakistan right now. They're, they're doing some studies on some kids who were orphaned and some other kids in the area who were not and trying to compare, you know, baseline levels of cortisol and um, the distinctive patterns of DNA and, and what's mm-hmm. changed and what hasn't changed. But in one study, uh, they found, and this is on animals, that some of the negative effects occurred 80 generations down. 80, eight zero. This is a worm. Okay. It's not a human. It's a worm, but they found that if they altered the RNA 80 generations down, it was still altered in another species, a water flea. If they were exposed to the scent of a predator, then their offspring would have spiky armored heads. It only took one generation to change that evolution, Mm -hmm. which is extreme, you know? Mm -hmm. So, I just want to talk about this. What can we do if we've got the pain of our parents making us? Yeah, yeah. well, ancestral trauma and intergenerational trauma is very real. It's um, it's how we 
how we've survived, you know, like we said, like we sent of a, a predator. We remember a situation and we remember that it was a bad situation. So we need to be able to respond in a way that's going to save our lives and um, storing that information for our children and grandchildren, great grandchildren in our bodies is a, is a really kind of um, handy way to, to make sure they stay alive. Right. So we think of all these things like, yeah, the Holocaust, different genocides, Sarajevo, the genocide. Now that is the work that I'm doing is I'm specifically working with the survivors of our, our genocide in Canada here. And yes, it has happened all over the world. Um, there's really only one country that doesn't have an independent state. That's England. <laughs> and so England has, you know, really uh, brought the residential schools and um, genocide into a lot of different countries and a lot of different cultures have their own. But yeah, trauma is remembered in this on a cellular level in the body. And um, we work with it in several different ways. So I'm a feeler, a spiritual feeler, so I can feel into, I can communicate with trauma that's held in the body in a somatic level, and I can help the body realize that the trauma is over and the trauma is not happening. That's one way we, I kind of go in and say to the body, like, it's not happening anymore. And I try to work with all these different ways of getting that body to understand that it's not happening anymore. I get the person to help with that and they'll feel the physical release. Like, so when your body comes out of trauma, you will usually have a little shake. It's a, it's a type of seizure. I can't even remember the name of it right now, <laughs> um, but they'll shake their hands a little bit. They'll still feel like they're on a bit of a roller coaster, but that's that nervous system kind of releasing. Think of an animal shaking it off right? Animals also sneeze when they change their mood. Yeah. Yeah. And so there's these different neurological shifts in the body as we move from the states of consciousness. So when you're in a heightened state of consciousness and threat mode, you know, you have anxiety, you're more aware, you're more aware of your, you're more reactive, you're going to be angrier, you're going to be more emotional, your brain doesn't function well, you're in a totally different kind of physical state. And then when you're really relaxed, right? And so if you are dropping consciousness and you're going into rest state, I can sleep, I can get a deep rest, that looks very different physiologically, right? And so, you know, for my work, I'm going in and I'm assessing, okay, so what are the things that make sense for someone to be activated into a threat response where they're fight, flight, freeze mode, looking for the, where's this anxiety coming from? You know, some people with anxiety just have a lot of triggers in their body memory around different threats that really aren't happening anymore. And so there's a lot of stuff we can look at when we're looking at trauma in the body and intergenerational trauma. So it's kind of like saying, well, what's, where did this trauma come from? We're asking the body, is it from your lifetime? Is it from your ancestors? Is it, you know, intergenerational? And sometimes the behavior that I see, you know, when I'm like, well, this is really old, right? Like you said, like 80 generations back, I've seen it go back hundreds of generations. What do you mean by that? What kind of behavior were you watching that you thought? Um, I'm trying to remember. Like an ancient (laughs) habit or something? I literally see about 30 people in a week. (laughs) So I I don't, I'm trying to remember that specific session. Uh, It was a while ago, but yeah, just 
usually it's just like uh, fight mode or fear mode, right? Like something like there's a behavior that we won't don't trust men, maybe, maybe not trusting men, don't have healthy relationships with men, exploring why there's always toxic, you know, draw to toxic behavior in men. I think that was one. And it went back to, you know, hundreds of years in the ancestry where it this has been a kind of consistent con- behavior that this event, whatever happened however long ago, locked it into the body that loving relationships were very toxic. Hmm. And there was a lot of abuse that happened, but that was a part of being in a relationship. And also, you know, like it's only been in the last few generations where women are been allowed to vote, um, have allowed to have their own bank accounts, been allowed to own their own homes. We make the same money. <laughs> you know, we're respected. We're safe. <laughs> and we don't have to be in these relationships with men that make sacrifices and, and let, be treated poorly anymore. So, so a lot of these men have to be, you know, changing their behaviors. So there's imprints that are in our both of us, like masculine and feminine, that are very old around, you know, loving behavior and non-loving behavior and healthy love and non-healthy love. So that's that's just one of the things. I think that that's what I was working on with that person was um, abusive, like highly abusive relationships. Right. And that's and that's, you know, when you look at intergenerational trauma within the residential school system, mm-hmm. you know, the residential school system was built to take all the children out of a community and you know, really wreck that community with no children running through the streets in a community. What's, what's going to happen to those people? What their, their, their whole point of living has been taken from them. Right. And so, you know, these great grandparents that I can see in the generations, like there's a lot of pain, there's a lot of loss, there's a lot of irreconcilability. You just don't fix that kind of pain. And then it happened over and over and over again. So when we talk about and so first, second and third, right? Generation, sorry. And so recently, this is not oh, yeah. 500 years <laughs> ago. Like this nope. is so like, like yesterday, this is crazy nope. that this was happening in the late sixties. I mean, really, honestly, 80, How could 86, that... 86 is the last. Is the oh, last my school that God. Was yes, because I'm I thinking know, I the 60s sweep. Right. And but... people my age who attended, I work with attendees that are my age, which is like this. like, all, OK, so the ages of residential school survivors that you're dealing with go from what age to what age at this point? Um, 30 to yeah, 40 90. to 90. Wow. I work I work with 86-year-olds, 90-year-olds. Yep. I work with women women and men my age. Um and then so that's, you know, they're still first generation, but their results, you know, their their parents went, their grandparents went, their great-grandparents went. Oh and so God. these children were taken from, you know, from their homes because they were first, second, third generation already. Like their parents didn't know how to parent. Their parents didn't know how to parent because in residential school, you're not you're not raised to be a parent. You're raised to be a broken human, right? Okay, we're going to take a break and we're going to come back and talk more about this, exactly this on Animal Party Pet Life Radio. Stay tuned. Molly, here's your dinner. <laughs> Zeus, that's not your food. Don't let that happen to your precious cat. Elevate your cat's eating experience with the Cat Tree Tray. The Cat Tree Tray keeps your cat's food off the floor and conveniently located on the cat tree. It's the perfect way to eat. 
It's a beautiful wrought iron tray that easily attaches to your cat tree and keeps dogs and other critters out of your cat's dish. A must for multi-pet households. There's a 6-inch tray for large bowls and a 4-inch tray for smaller bowls. Purchase your cat tree tray today. Go right now to CatTreeTray.com. That's CatTreeTray.com. C-A-T-T-R-E-E-T-R-A-Y.com. Let's Talk Pets on PetLifeRadio.com. Hello, we're back on Animal Party Pet Life Radio, and we're talking about breaking people at residential schools with Laura Cook, who's a healer helping the broken people. Mm-hmm. So welcome back, everyone. And um, yeah, I just, it's unbelievable. I mean, I was in university when this was going on, and I wasn't hearing about it. I didn't know about it. How did I not know about it? It's terrible. Yeah. Yeah, it, it's. I was in university with First Nations people. Jenny Jack was in school with me. Like I, I how how is this not coming? Like I don't understand how I sat with people and talked with people, and it was never mentioned in any. I don't get this. Why was it so mm-hmm. secret so long? Well, it's not a nice thing to to know about in Canada. You know that there was a reason why it was happening, and it was to take away the land and the resources. And um, the First Nations people were here for thousands and thousands, tens of thousands of years. And um, this is their, you know, this is their land and their resources. And the the weaker they are, the more Canada could control. You know, and my job with the Indian Residential School Survivor Society is, you know, to do exactly what we're doing right now is to also educate and to help people understand more about it and to have more empathy and compassion. And so, you know, if, if anybody wants to support IRSSS, you go to irsss.ca. We love answering questions. If you have questions, you can call in there. We have lots of cultural support workers who are teaching more about residential school and the after effects and how we are healing. So we've been incepted for 20 years. We have almost all Indigenous um, members on our board and employees and psychologists and um, cultural medicine workers. And we support all kinds of communities across, uh, across Canada now. And we're taking calls from around the world as well to help people understand more about what's happening and how, you know, how we are coming back to more Indigenous ways of healing what damage there has been done. I think we need to tell people in case they haven't caught the news and they don't realize what's going on at the start, I guess it's a couple of months now, graves, unmarked graves of children secretively buried in Kamloops at a residential school, which is the name, residential school is the wrong, wrong name, but it's a a place where they used to send kids. Maybe I'll let you explain it. Can you explain to our audience what's been going on, what's been exploding bit by bit by bit off all over the country in the last little while so they know the context? So a few days before the announcements were made, we were um, uh, we had a staff meeting at uh, the Indian Residential School Survivor Society to talk about how this was going to start happening across Canada. And they were starting with the announcements in Kamloops. So the children are on their way home. This is what we see it as in Indigenous perspective that they're being seen. So this mass grave of 215 children um, was reported on May 29th, 2021. A lot of these children 
were just told, the families were just told that they disappeared, they ran away, and nobody knew what happened to them. And, you know, for me, working for 10 years with Indigenous communities, um, you know, I know, you know, one man who had seven brothers and sisters, there were seven children in his family, and he was the only one who came home from residential schools. So, you know, these children, and the children were taken very young sometimes, right? Like toddlers. three years old, four years old. Yep. Yep. And they like just ripped out of their mom's arms and, yep. and forbidden will, to speak their own language yeah, and forbidden to, to be close with their relatives. If they had siblings or cousins or whatever at the school, they couldn't hug or kiss or be with them. And it's just a nightmare. Yes. And these schools, you know, have been in operation since 1800s. Um, this one in, in Kamloops was in operation from 1890 until the late 70s. Yeah, and it's just, it's it's a horrible, horrible history. It's the reality. Um, and it's what I'm dealing with every day with my clients. I see families that had children that were never coming home from, from this school, from different schools. And there's graves all over. Canada. I can tell you that we're just four, at the we're, beginning. Four percent discovery. Oh right my now. god. Four percent discovery. Right okay. Two hundred and fifteen so, graves. <laughs> so I want to ask you about this. I was watching on TV as Lytton, literally the town of Lytton, burnt to the ground near Lillooet because of the heat wave and the fire, and possibly a train started it. I don't know, but the town is now gone. And days later, there was a lot of anger and rage toward different symbols statues and whatnot, but also churches and fires were being set. And sometimes fires were being set in retaliation on totem poles and the whole lighting of fires when we're in a extreme fire hazard, when we all love the trees and the forest and we all want no fires seems crazy to me. How do we stop this from exploding? And also I want to mention that it's clear that in one case of this fire of a church, the suspect is not indigenous. So it's someone doing it on behalf of someone else or, or some kind of subterfuge. Mm-hmm. I don't even know. But fire during this heat wave is extremely ridiculous. I mean, you're going to hurt yourself, right? You're going to burn your own town. I don't understand this. What can mm-hmm. we do about that? I don't know. It's, it's an expression of the extreme rage that I think many Canadians feel, indigenous and non-indigenous extreme rage that children you know how could these families stop these children from being stolen and murdered and you know these children these children were raped in these residential schools and these there were babies born and thrown into furnaces Deborah oh this my is God. this is this is the reality of what I listen to every day and you know I can feel the these pains oh. and these experiences of the ancestors, not just the survivors, but their ancestors that went through residential school, you know, however many generations were taken over and over again, I feel those experiences. I can hear the furnaces, I can hear the children's screams. So, you know what, an expression today, these fires burning down, in comparison to the pain that I was get never acknowledged, saying. you know, like for me, I'm like, yeah, that sounds about right. Why, why is the focus only on the church and not on the government? Like, it seems to me the government is really in cahoots well, it, with the it, church, it, it, no? The church government is kind of the same. I think it's the same thing. Um, the, the government can switch it off and say, oh, yeah, it was the church, right? Like, no, it's, it's well, 
do you think it's actual, you know, God, spirit, creator energy? You know, no, this is human. This is human control, human destruction. This is genocide. This is not spirit. This is not good energy. This is not love, right? This is governmental control. How do we um, justify it? How do we make it okay that this is happening to this, these, you know, these people, um, what they, you know, they're shamans. They went in and, and made sure that the medicine people weren't practicing. That's against God. That's not, you know, that's not okay. That's Satan worshiping. You know, we, we, we that's the first people that w- weren't allowed to practice were the people like me, right? Spirit worker. Mm-hmm. Right. Healers. Yeah. Yeah. And that was a huge part of dis- disabling the community. How else do we disable the community? Let's take away the children. Take away that the dogs. Like- that was key, right? <laughs> yeah. the, when they took yeah. away the dogs. That was a huge, huge thing. And people say, what are you talking about? You're just a dog lover. No, no, no. That was transportation. That was everything. Grounded people in an area where where you can't be grounded and survive. You have to be nomadic. They took away their transport. So that was brutal. Okay, we're going to go to break. And I want to come back and talk about how to remember, but heal. Because, yeah, because remembering sometimes is re-traumatizing. All right, stay tuned to Animal Party on Pet Life Radio. Take a bite out of your competition. Advertise your business with an ad in Pet Life Radio podcasts and radio shows. There is no other pet-related media that is as large and reaches more pet parents and pet lovers than Pet Life Radio. With over 7 million monthly listeners, Pet Life Radio podcasts are available on all major podcast platforms. And our live radio stream goes out to over 250 million subscribers on iHeartRadio, Odyssey, TuneIn, Stitcher, and other streaming apps. For more information on how you can advertise on the number one pet podcast and radio network, visit PetLifeRadio.com slash advertise today. Let's talk pets. Let's talk pets. On Pet Life Radio. Pet Life Radio. PetLifeRadio.com. Hello. We're back on Animal Party on Pet Life Radio. So in my religion, we read over our story of woes every year. We started in September. We go through the whole thing, everything that was done to our people how we got, you know, pillaged and murdered and slaughtered and moved along by this group and that group. And always there's some invading army. And then at the last minute, God helps us and we survive. And it goes back. And every year we do this and and we we do this re-traumatization of ourselves as this woe-begotten, picked-on, persecuted people that has to endure and survive. And I understand because we say, you know, never again. And if we forget, I mean, even... Even the uh, lest we forget is the the motto for for the secular Second World War remembrance. And um, in Quebec, they have it on their license plates. We'll we'll always remember. Okay, so how do we remember? Because it's really important we remember. And all these things that have been hidden so long, they have to come to light. But how do we not re-traumatize or explode into rages? Yeah, yeah. So... Our body has different ways of remembering and our mind has different ways of remembering. So you can have, you can have a memory of a traumatic event. You can remember it. You can look at it, but you don't, you don't go back into it. You're not in it physically. You can look at a trauma. If you haven't healed that traumatic event, 
you are going to remember it and your whole body will go into response. So that's how you know. If you, if you look at trauma and you're feeling the emotional impact of it, the physical tension, you know, it's like your body's back in there. You haven't really healed it well. I worked with a doctor a couple of years ago and um, we talked, I said, you know, what happened to you in the summer? And it was some event with some, you know, family member. It was highly traumatic. And that doctor said that, well, no, I've, you know, I've gone through therapy. I can talk about it. Da, 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 da. And I'm like, well, look at your body right now. And your body is back in it again, isn't it? Right now you can feel everything in your body activated tension, your heart's beating, you're breathing fast. Look at your, you know, you, you, you're, you're back in that trauma. Your body is there. And the doctor was like, oh yeah. And I'm like, you can mentally understand a trauma but you need to physically release it because if you haven't physically somatically released and helped your body understand that you're safe and it's over, you're, you're, you're going to be triggered and it might be a memory. It might be a sound. It might be a smell. You know, it could be this, the color of something. It could be a sound of voices, someone's sound. It could be anything that could trigger that body response. And you wouldn't even know. You're like, why do I have a headache tonight? Well, it could have been that you had a conversation with a family member and you guys had been in a car accident 20 years ago. And so your body goes back to that memory of that car accident. You see how that body works, the body memory works. But how do we do like for now, right now, when, well, first I want to say something positive in 2000. <laughs> yeah, I do. Cause it's like part of the research I did and it, it's so, uh, it, cause I don't want to forget to say this before the end of the show, but in 2016, some of this rat research, I was looking at mouse and rat research where they did terrible things to mice and then tried to see if their offspring and their offspring and their offspring were still affected. They took real damaged rats, you know, messed up from their experiments and they put them into a, an ideal, like a oasis, you know, like mouse uh, fantasy Island kind of thing. And um, when they did that, when they put them into this environmental enrichment palace, they all got better. Yes. So even though they were majorly screwed up rats, you know, and mice, when they put them into the ideal surroundings, everything, everything improved, their diet improved, their responses, their cortisol levels, all the stuff they were measuring went back to almost normal levels. So there is hope that even yes. those of us who've had really damaged parents or grandparents or ourselves or trauma, there is hope if we can just get it together and get ourselves into a good state of being. But I want to I want to ask you about this. Like as we turn on the news every day now and hear about more dead children, more hidden graves, more, you know, the Pope every day. It's oh, the Pope won't release this or will they release that or you see the prime minister apologizing or not apologizing or doing whatever he's doing with his hair. I don't know. I'm getting frustrated already. I'm getting upset already. How do we deal with this properly? like in a healthy way? Well, like you said, um, the cell, the, the, the environment is huge, right? And so the more the public is, I think, empathetic, understanding and supporting and, and just feeling like that, that this needs to change, that our Indigenous community will feel supported. Our Indigenous community needs that healthy environment, just like you said. They, you know, I work in 40 different um, First Nations communities around BC. I go on tour, um, actually go on to a conference this Friday where I'm working with 10 different community leaders. And in August, I go on tour again into some very isolated communities. These communities, it's hard 
it's really hard in those communities. The environment isn't a place where they can, you know, really heal. And so I think, you know, the more we communicate, the more we educate um, Canadians about becoming empathetic and 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 really trying to um, support these isolated communities. How can we interact with these communities? I lived in Smithers for quite a while, and they have a really cool um, society that is about um, interacting with their local First Nations um, communities. And so it's like all of these non-Indigenous that want to come together, they do different events that integrate the Indigenous. So they can be like, look, we want to bring um, events. We want to bring um, nurturing things, healthy things into your communities. And it's, it's such a beautiful way of you know, just showing up and creating long-term relationships. And that's, that's what I do with my work. I've been touring communities for, um, I think seven years and I tour the same ones. If I have a community, if I'm going on a tour, I go to the communities that I've always worked with because I know that long-term relationship with those people that have known me for many, many years, that's what's going to create change for them continuous support showing up going into those communities and my funding is limited my time is limited even more but you know like the their funding to bring me in is limited my funding from the government is limited because it's that's just where it, it where it's at so the more we can get people to go to irsss.ca or call their 1-800 number 1-800-721-0066 call see how you can donate directly to our society we are the front lines of going into these communities and providing culturally specific support and effective support and training. We're doing training all the time. I just finished some training in June. And okay, so you know, I want to ask you great about. Society. <laughs> I want to ask you about. Can you give that one eight hundred number again? Sure, one eight hundred seven two one zero zero six six. Our and who North is that for? You want uh, people Indian, who need help, who are First Nations, to call or that questions, number? or anyone, the non-Indigenous that wants okay. to help. Like, how can we help? How you know? Okay, can I are, ask you? Does yeah. it help if non-Indigenous people wear orange? Is that helpful? Yes. Really? Yeah. Okay. Yeah. My wardrobe's about to change. I can tell you that <laughs> I'm becoming orange. All right, no problem. I, do, yeah. you know, it's um okay. So that's helpful. Yeah, there's okay. the orange, there's the orange shirt, shirt society, and it's they they love to teach. So it's a like Google things, and how do we learn more? How do we, you know, go to orange shirt society? They teach and inter educate about intergenerational impacts from the residential schools, um, and so you know it's really about understanding. So when we see um, people suffering, non-indigenous or indigenous people have trauma. Like you said, you come from a genocide as well the Holocaust. I've worked with survivors of Sarajevo. I've worked with, you know, lots of different gen genocide survivors. It's, it's this, our, our, we don't turn away um, people from different groups, really. Like we want to educate all about residential school, I, I kind of all about surviving this stuff. I'd like to focus just a little bit because we're over time. We're going to have to end sure. the show really soon. But I'd like to focus <laughs> a bit on that ideal fantasy island rat house. Okay. Because you just said that these communities you go tour are not ideal fantasy islands. No. They're really no. not. They're not set up to be places where there's 
beautiful books, fruits, vegetables, clean water, jobs. What? Okay, what else is missing from these places and what needs to happen? Because, you know, I'm tired of hearing him, any of them, any of the leaders say, say that they're going to get food to the north. Why isn't it there? Why don't they have food in the north? How can it, what what yeah, do we it, need to do to make this happen? Well, it, it, just imagining a residential school was about deconstructing the cultural, the community, and the family abilities. So they do not have the skills that they used to have around just connecting, loving each other, creating space, and 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 supporting each other. They have been basically you know, built to distrust one another, isolate. So they're isolating themselves in their communities. They don't have community connection. And so what, what they need is this, you know, deep, deep healing, which is the work that we're doing continuously. Every time we go out into these communities, we're connecting with the ones who are ready to heal and want to see this change. And we're helping them there. They also need structure around like, um, and support around what is what is what is healthy community look like? What does healthy loving look like? They don't know how to love each other healthily. A lot of us don't. You know, there's that's love true. that's painful. And I think love. I think almost every um, immigrant story, most of them, except for economic mm-hmm. immigrants, but most immigrants who are refugees or fleeing some kind of strife, they're yes. they're going to have this kind of situation too. You know, and I don't want to pick on Justin Trudeau or the Liberal Party in particular because Harper was just as idiotic on his little boat trip showing us how he was going to go up the north and you know as he's sailing by first nations communities who don't have good food don't have good water don't have vegetables and fruit and he's doing some kind of propaganda thing against the russians for water space you know and it was just it's not the current government it's all of the governments and And these these communities didn't need anybody for thousands and thousands of years but when you brought in the colonization and the genocide it destroyed those structures it destroyed their sense of community and their cultural um resources like so that's we, we need to bring their languages back we need to bring we need to help them heal so that they can you know rebuild their their community dynamics right like they shouldn't be dependent on food coming up up to their communities they never were you know when i work with dogs and sometimes i get training customers who've rescued a dog or adopted a dog off a reserve and they'll tell me right away, oh, it's a reserve dog because there's a certain personality that goes with a reserve dog. Kind of like if you say, oh, it's a greyhound rescue. Okay, you know, it was kept in a cage and you know certain things about the dog. Like if it sees a rabbit, it's gone, right? And (laughs) if it's been conditioned to chase, a reserve dog is going to be a little bit cagey, a little bit fearful, a little bit hand shy, a little bit head shy. And it always troubled me so much that that's what things have come to. When the history of dog and First Nations was so noble. It was so beautiful. Yeah. It was like, it was so light years ahead of what the Western world was doing with dogs. And it just kills me that that's what's happened. It's just such an example of of how messed up things are. But I sure hope we can heal. Yeah. I'm seeing, I'm seeing beautiful things every day. Some of my community members I've been working with for seven plus years, like you've known me for 10 years or more. Um, these communities know the work I do. The First Nations Health Authority knows the work that we're doing. We're, we're beginning training. Um, we're working with doctors uh, and have had caucuses where they know that this work is important and they want Indigenous healers alongside the doctors in all our hospitals. 
So, you know, I don't see that happening for 10 years, but <laughs> we're, we would love to see this, what we call a medical racism um, abolished, abolished and see our work as, uh, as hand in hand accepted with all of our conventional medicines. Have, has anyone ever considered a, like a, a hospital or university hospital, First Nations they do have um, in in Ontario. There is a lot of support there for Indigenous medicine, and um, it is it is being more and more, you know, more and more um, integrated for sure. And knowledge knowledge keepers are recognized. We have a group of great traditional knowledge keepers. My work is more specifically spirit. Um, our because I have um, Eastern. Eastern ancestry, Mohawk and Haudenosaunee, and the people locally here are more med- like land-based medicines and plant-based medicines. So, yeah, I mean, it is recognized. It's been studied, and um, we're just—it's just bringing it back into that it's real medicine, and there's nothing wrong with indigenous medicine and indigenous ways of living and healing and concepts. It's a beautiful thing, and it's very real and very effective. It just takes time to change the world, right? Can I ask you, am I uh, incorrect in calling uh, the community First Nations? Is that not right? Should I be calling them Indigenous? Because I notice you use Indigenous. Maybe I'm out of date on this. <laughs> um, some, I, in my work, we, we say Indigenous. Um, we, First Nations is another term. I, I don't know. I'm, I don't find offense in, in much generally. So... From, from my from my understanding, some people don't like to be called First Nations. They would rather be called Indigenous. But I just kind of don't take it too personally if I'm offending someone. I just say, you know, oops, or I, I will, you know, do my best not to. <laughs> and that's it's, it's not my, strange, my intention to. But well, yeah. it's a strange thing with terminology because um, First Nations was the was the right way for a while, but mm-hmm. um, but. And yeah, but I will definitely change that if I'm offending people. I don't want to hurt anybody. And mm-hmm. I will start mm-hmm. wearing more orange. What else can people do to show their support? Just recognize that I think a lot of people feel like they're they're being blamed for their ancestors, like their ancestors thing that they did. And I don't think that that's really what's happening. I think we're asking that people be educated and recognize that this has been happening and make bigger movements towards um, supporting uh, these communities. And how can you, you know, how can you get more involved, right? There's, um, you know, even Gord, Gord Downey um, had a fund, Gord Downey and Chani Wenjack, they provide education on the history of Indigenous people and the legacy of residential schools. They have a website and you can donate there. Um, That's and tragically hip. Yeah. Yeah. Gord Downey's um, fund. Yeah. So he was really loving of and, and, and compassionate around um, what was going on in our communities. There's Canada, Canadian Roots Exchange is a youth-led organization that's empowering young Canadians to stand in solidarity and that's at canadianroots.com. They take they take monetary support. There's, you know, First Nations Child and Family Caring Society. Uh, Reconciliation Canada is another educational foundation. Like it's the education and teaching about why, you know, why this has happened, how we can help and 
how we can be more responsible for what's going on now and the survivors, right? Because we're, we're the generations that were lied to. Yeah. Yeah. I was lied. I grew up knowing I had a bit of indigenous. I grew up being, you know, kind of segregated in my community, in my school, because I was a little bit indigenous. And I grew up feeling, you know, that I was supposed to hide that I wasn't allowed to be I was supposed to know we we're supposed to be white, we we're supposed to not celebrate, we had no indigenous um, regalia, or information because our family was from New York. And so back then, we didn't really have edu- residential schools in New York in the early 1800s, you were just, you know, wiped out as um, if you didn't yeah, assimilate. So <laughs> our family learned to assimilate really quickly. And so it's like, I wasn't allowed to celebrate that. And then when I learned what residential schools actually were in my early 20s, I was so devastated. And I was so enraged that I didn't know, you know, and we were told, oh, the, you know, these natives just gave the, the land away for buttons. That, that was the general lesson on the history of Canada, right? Yeah, weren't they naive? Um, yeah. Yeah. And so, you know, I think it needs to be really, really, really well educated for our children. I mean, my children know so much now, right? Like my, I've got two boys and they are on top of residential schools. They, they know survivors personally because I work with them and they're my good friends and they know traditional ways of healing. We know how to do fire ceremonies. They, we do prayers. We work with. Okay. So this this brings me back to that question that I had, because this is sort of what we do in the Jewish community. You know, we'll get a Holocaust survivor to come talk to kids about their experience. We show them movies, real footage. We educate them, not just about the Holocaust. We cover all, all the trials and tribulations of our people as the year goes through. But how do you draw the line between that and not re-traumatizing, right? You don't want your kids to grow up with this on their shoulder you want them to to know it but still live freely right like how most how, most, where... your, most most survivors will never talk about it mm-hmm. they, that's what you'll see you'll see you know my that's friend true. tom smith who is an amazing amazing seer he's a healer he's a powerful healer and lives in vancouver anybody wants to work with him can email me i'll give you his information his mother is on the you know she's it was uh, taken at six years old or five years old, you know, um, slammed against the wall at that age by nuns. And, um, you know, they had ammonia poured down their throat um, at a small, you know, she went through hell and he never heard about it. The first time he heard about her experiences was he read it in an article in the newspaper. Wow. So if we don't talk about it, it, we feel it, the children feel it. And he suffered and his siblings suffered. If we don't talk about it and speak about it, it's held in the body and the body will live it again. So, okay. We try so to explain it and about, try to let it go. But if we talk about it, you mentioned about, it, about the really earth. Speak. You said something about the earth and about water. So I'm trying to, okay. So we, we talk about it. We hear their stories. We feel their stories. Mm-hmm. And then we feel like tense and stressed mm-hmm. and sick and upset. Okay, what do we do to clear it? You said something about clearing. I'm not, I need to clearing, finish that. Clearing. <laughs> so that's where the power of the traditional medicines are recognized. So when you look in all different cultures, I love cultural medicine from all different cultures. There's prayer, there's mantras, there's affirmations. These are all ways of talking about it and surfacing it and asking forgiveness and 
putting it into um, a place of spirit, whether it be land or handing it to creator or put it into a fire. We transform it from our body and into spirit. <clears throat> so that's what I mean when I say we take it out and we put it into the land. And so, you know, when we do work, say I do a, a ceremony with my children and we're talking about just, you know, prayers, like, you know, I, I want to give prayers to helping see my friends move through what they're going through faster. I want to give prayers and ask creator to help us um, get through these struggles and help our grandparents. And so it's just like asking a greater power to support us. And then we put our tobacco into the fire. And so we're kind of praying into our hand with tobacco or sage or whatever medicines, and then putting that into the fire. Um, you don't need to have a physical thing like tobacco. You can have a rock or you can have a rock, maybe not tobacco, but you can have a rock and you can, you know, say to that rock, um, help me release what I need to release, what's not mine, what I don't need to hold on to. And you can put that rock down, you know, into the water or um, just, just back into the earth. So that's kind of one of the things I teach my children. We talk about the struggles that we're going through. We try not to shove them back inside of us because we shove them inside of us. They become disease. If mm -hmm. we can honor it and put it into a rock or put it in tobacco, we can put it down into the earth and the earth will heal everything. Well, thank you, Laura. We've had a great show. We went way over time, but I <laughs> so appreciate sharing. And this topic is so important for Indigenous people and all of us. Everyone in Canada should be considering what went on, what's going on, how they can help maybe buying some orange clothes. <laughs> well, donating to our society is working to support definitely ancient medicines, indigenous medicines that are, are we're going, you know, into the communities. We're in Kamloops. We're at the grave sites. We are dealing with these graves and supporting the survivors. So I appreciate you having me today and helping people understand a little bit more. Oh, I hope this show gets heard by a lot of people, especially people who need help. Thank you so much, Laura. Really, thank you. Yeah, you're welcome. Okay, everybody, from Animal Party, Vet Life Radio, Laura Cook and me, Deb Well, be good to your animals. Let's Talk Pets, every week on demand, only on PetLifeRadio.com.